so Romans chapter 5. I've told you before that the book of Romans to me is, is a foundational book when it comes to doctrine for the body of Christ. And, and I mean that. And so many people, um, whenever they become a believer, they're instructed to go read the book of John. And, hey, go read the book of John. I don't have a problem with that. But I can tell you, when it comes to the body of Christ, the book of Romans is really where you need to start and where we should encourage people to start because of the, the doctrine that's in the book of Romans. It's so vital um, for, for our understanding, establishing the things that we've already been studying. I don't even know how many weeks we've been in Romans already. And so a few months probably. The things that we've already studied, talking about all of sin and come short of the glory of God, talking about the fact that it's by faith and not by works um, that you are saved, the fact that you don't have to be of the circumcision, you don't have to be of the law. All of these things are talked about, and we've already talked about those a great deal here in Romans. And when we get to chapter 5, um, which is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, um, and I say that, I know a lot about, about different parts, and, but I mean it every time I say it. Um, this this chapter in particular, uh, I like to describe it, or at least uh, uh, I do now anyway, as your benefits package in Christ. When you start a new job, um, oftentimes they're going to go over your benefits package, the things that you're going to get as an employee. Well, Romans chapter 5 is kind of like that as a Christian. Um, and so... Um, we're, we're going to see here um, the things that we receive in the body of Christ, the benefits that we have. And so Romans chapter 5 is going to go over things like that we were once enemies, but God sought peace. Now that alone should cause you to awe. We were enemies, and God sought peace with you. This world has the complete wrong impression of God, at least a lot of the unbelievers do, thinking that God is out there warring against mankind. No. God sought peace. That's what he sought. What does that say? He reached out to man. You know, when we think of, when we think of God, God knew our biggest need. He knew mankind's biggest need. And he didn't send, you know, uh, an avenging angel in our most desperate need. He sent a savior. Think of that. I mean, that'll get me choked up right now. Whereas I like to say my allergies will mess up. So um, it also talks about the fact that unlike at any other time since Adam, that the believer has full access to God. And, and let me repeat it so that you can understand it for what it really is. Unlike any other time in history since Adam, the believer today has full access to God. Until the body of Christ, that wasn't the case. didn't say you couldn't have access to God. There was ways, ways and there was restrictions and those types of things. But from the moment that Adam sinned until God establishes the body of Christ, you don't have that full access to God. But in Christ, part of your benefits package is you have full access to God. Wow. Let that, yeah, let that sink in. And we'll be talking about that. Uh, Romans 5, again, um, can be understood as your benefits package, but it can also be understood as the explanation of what Paul calls 
the riches of God's grace. And so I want to start by looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. So whenever you've, maybe you've seen in, uh, Paul talk about the riches of God's grace in, in Ephesians 1 here, uh, this Romans 5 can be understood as some of the explanation of what those riches in God's grace is. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And so part of the, uh, we obviously have the forgiveness of sins, but we have a lot more than just the forgiveness of sins. And so Romans 5 is going to explain what some of those are. In verse 3, it says all spiritual blessings. Look at verse 3 of Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Notice how particular the wording is in here. In Christ, in heavenly places. And so the these blessings here aren't necessarily like the blessings that Israel had where if you do this, then you're going to be um, free from your enemies. If you do this, you're going to, you know, you know, have these health benefits and all these kind of things. A lot of times it had to do with uh, being free from their enemies. The Christians don't have the same promises. We're not, I, I can promise you right now that Paul's warning to the Christian is that, guess what, as a Christian, you can expect trouble. But your blessings... You have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Romans 5 talks about some of those. And so that's one of the things that's very cool about, um, about this, about this um, uh, book and uh, this chapter. Go back to Ephesians. I already turned off of there. should have looked at my notes closer. Look at verse 15 of Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 verse 15 says, Whereof, or Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And so Paul here is talking to those in Ephesus, and he, he says, Whenever I heard about your faith, and I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of your praise. But notice what he prays, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul wants Christians, and he's obviously writing the Ephesians, but this is the word of God, and so it's for Paul. Paul is talking about he wants, he wants Christians to understand, to comprehend the riches of God's grace that we have, these all spiritual blessings that we have in heavenly places, God wants us to understand these things. And, and there's a reason for that. Why? Because I think that when, when we realize the things that, that we've, we've, we've been given, that's the difference between grace and law. Law can tell you all kinds of things that you shouldn't do. Grace gives you the reason to do them. It's one of the biggest differences. Grace can take a person places that the law never could. And so this is one of the reasons why Paul talks about the, the grace establishes the law. And so that's kind of like an intro to chapter 5, verse uh, of Romans. And um, let's go ahead and pick up here in verse 1, Romans chapter 5, 
verse 1. It says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, where it says, therefore, this is referring back, obviously, to chapter 4. I've told you before that when you're studying the Word of God and you see therefore, well, you need to backtrack to make sure you understand what's being talked about and ask the question, what is therefore, therefore, ultimately? And so if you go back to chapter 4, verse, verse 20 uh, through 25, it says, talking about Abraham, it says, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And we talked about that. Our faith gives glory to God. And being fully persuaded that he, uh, what he had promised, he was able to also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So Paul then is saying, therefore, because you've been justified by faith, because you've been declared righteous, because God's righteousness has been imputed unto you. And and again, keep in mind that really all of the things that Paul has been proving since chapter one on, but but really chapter three on talking about justification, how justification works, Paul is now completing the point he's proven it and he's saying therefore you us the body of christ therefore being justified by faith and so as you look at all of these things uh, we'll go back to romans chapter 3 verse 28 romans 3 28 again here's where paul used this therefore He says, therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And so Paul, before that, had been proving the fact that justification was by faith. And now he's getting to the point here where he's 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 saying we conclude then. Being justified by faith, what? What does it say? We have peace with God. Therefore, being justified, declared righteous, the the fact that God's righteousness has been imputed unto you, you have peace with God. Now, understand that this isn't some sort of an internal peace. This isn't some sort of a thing that you can feel good about yourself. This isn't some sort of a thing that you can rest easy at night kind of a peace. No, this is an actual peace with God, meaning you're no longer appointed under wrath, meaning judgment, harsh judgment. This is a an actual peace. It means you're no longer, go back to Romans chapter 1, under this situation. Romans 1 verse 18. Romans 1 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. I think we all agree that we don't want to be a part of that. Paul has said, and he's proved since this point, how righteousness works. And now he's saying, therefore, being justified, which means what? Declared righteous, we have peace with God, which means you don't have wrath from God, is what he's saying. Look at chapter 2. Chapter 2. 
verse 5. He says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And so obviously he's not talking about us. He's talking about those who, who meet that situation. But you can see from this that there is a day of wrath coming. When we have peace with God, guess what you no longer have to worry about? The day of wrath. That should, I can tell you, you want to know maybe one of the most important things about your benefit package in Christ Jesus may be that the fact that you're not appointed under the day of wrath. Because that is not going to be a good thing. And so that's the thing that we have. Flip over to Acts chapter 17. Paul has quite a bit to say regarding this wrath aspect and I think that some one of the mistakes that um, um, people make and I'll say Christians whether they're Christians or not let God be the judge but those who call themselves Christian and they want to they want to teach Christ one of the mistakes people make is is they want to teach Christ as this lovey-dovey guy well uh, Christ is love he is the example of perfect love but, but don't forget that Jesus Christ is the incarnate of the Old Testament Jehovah, that Jehovah that taught wrath. Jesus Christ is the same one in the book of Revelation that's going to come back with judgment, with a sword. And oftentimes Christians forget the need to remind people that there is a day of wrath, there's a day of reckoning coming. We warn things, knowing the terror of God what? We persuade men, is what Paul says. Look here in Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Acts chapter 17, Paul is here in Athens. He has seen the ignorant worship, as he said in verse 23, that's going on. And and he wasn't so mean-spirited about it. He's he's pointing out the truth. And and so he's warned them about the fact that... um, the things that they were doing and, and man needed to repent and, and all these kind of things. And in verse 30, he comes to and says, and at the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. So God has commanded that mankind repent, put their faith in the finished work of Christ because he's appointed a day in which he's going to judge the world in righteousness by that man. And so it's all going to come down to what a person believes about Christ Jesus. There's a lot of people out there preaching Christ, but what are you preaching about Christ is the thing. What you believe about Christ is what matters. A lot of people that believe that Jesus existed, that's not going to save them. What you believe about Jesus, because if you don't believe the right thing about Jesus, then as we talked about last week, you are calling God a liar. And so here we see the fact that there is a judgment that's coming. And so when it talks about peace here, uh, we can be sure that we actually have a peace with God. And um, this peace has kept us from uh, that, that day of judgment. We no longer have to worry about that. How many people um, today don't understand that they have peace 
with God. So many are trying to to have peace with God through religion. Well, if I do this, this will make God happy. You know, this will placate him. This will pacify God. If I tithe, if I come to church, if I do this or whatever, some sort of form of religion. They think that they can have peace with God through their religion. Well, what does this say? How do you have peace with God? What, is it, what did it say there? Romans chapter 5, it said through a particular means, didn't it? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the means and the only means in which you can have peace with God. He has made peace for us. Matter of fact, go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20. I'll read in verse 19. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For it pleased the Father that in him, who's in him, Christ, should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And so it is Christ who has made the peace. Nobody's going to make peace today through the religion. Nobody's going to make peace with God today through their actions. Yes? Um, I think, too, and you might point this out later, but um, by him to reconcile all things into himself. So God reconciled all things through the blood of Christ, yet we still have to be reconciled to God. We have that part. Me, you know, meaning an unbeliever. Not sure. We've already done that. Right. Yeah, and, and, and so you, you can get into the universalist thinking that God's already reconciled us, and there are many people that will. But here's the thing about a Bible, you know, a Bible student. A Bible student compares Scripture to Scripture. Scripture's not going to contradict each, each other. Now, does the, we've talked before, does Paul and James contradict each other? No, because they're not talking to the same group. So it's pretty, pretty simple to understand. So the Bible doesn't contradict each other. And so whenever people want to take the fact that he's, he's made peace for us through the cross and, and that type of thing and, and turn this into a universalist belief system that we're all, we're all forgiven, that we're all going to heaven, they forget the fact that it's applied to them that believe, Romans says. And then exactly what Valerie is talking, talking about, you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and, and Paul says, be reconciled unto God. Your part to play is believing. Our part, I should say, the, the person's part is to play, uh, is believing. Ephesians says it's a gift. And so we understand that it's for those who believe. Again, you're not going to be reconciled to God by calling him a liar. He says, I did this so that you can be saved. And if you say, eh, it, it doesn't work that way. Try going up to your boss and calling him a liar and see how reconciled you're going to be about it. Mm-hmm. It's probably not going to work too well. So... Um, so yeah, here in Colossians 1, he made peace for us. That thing is done for us. Go back to Romans chapter 5 and, and look at this um, where it says here in verse 11. Skip down temporarily. I don't expect us to get through but maybe one or two verses today. But I want you to look down here in verse 11 of Romans 5. It says, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
We have joy um, through uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. We know through the scriptures we have atonement through the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 says we have victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, We have justification through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have forgiveness through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this passage that I just got done talking about, um, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 18. Second Corinthians 5.18, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ that be reconciled to God for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, through Christ Jesus, we not only have justification, forgiveness, joy, atonement. We are reconciled to God. Basically, if you, I want you to really think about this and point this out to you. All the things that we have that are really good, where do they come from? God chose to use Jesus Christ as the means to give you everything. Jesus Christ is the means in which God has used to give the church or anything to anybody. Jesus was the chosen chosen method. It's through Christ Jesus that we have anything of any value. And so it's all things that we have are through Jesus Christ. Uh, matter of fact, go back to Colossians. And I should have had you read this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Which means we'll start in verse 17. No. 16. Colossians 1, 16. For by him talking about Jesus, were all things created, comma. And you can stop and meditate on that. For by him, all things were created. Yeah, that that means the heavens and the earth. Back to Genesis when it says that God spoke and it was. Guess who that was? Jesus. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, Powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist, which is a cool message in itself. One of these days I'll do a sermon on that. And notice verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in all things he might have the preeminence. You see, this was done for a particular reason. There's a reason why he's the one that spoke things of creation. There's a reason why he's the head of the church. There's a reason why why the Godhead chose to use Jesus Christ as the means to give us all these spiritual blessings. Why? As it just said, so that he might in all things have preeminence. In all things that he might have preeminence. 
And so we need to understand back here in Romans, when we're talking about this, this um, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And when we think of Colossians 1 and, and, and the fact that we have all spiritual blessings in Christ, that, God, that Christ is the means in which God is used to give us all spiritual blessings, that he might have the preeminence. All right. And I would say that as we go on here in Romans chapter 5, did you have your hand up? Okay. Romans chapter 5, go back to there. Maybe one of the most underappreciated um, aspects of your benefits package in Christ Jesus or your all spiritual blessings or your riches in God's grace, maybe the most un- underappreciated is what I've already talked about and hinted at a minute ago is where it talks about the fact that through Christ Jesus you have access to God. Whoa. I really hope that you dwell on that for a moment. But but look what it says here. Romans 5, verse 2. By whom... Now, I don't know about what Bible you're using. Mine is the King James, and the whom is capitalized. And there's a reason for that. Because that whom is talking about the deity that is Jesus Christ. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so this access, again, is something I think that we we take for granted. Mankind seems to think, and they, they think very flippant of God, that he's some sort of like dog that is there to, to pull out whenever you want to pet him. And I, and, I, and I know that I'm being a little harsh here, but sometimes I think the way humans treat God or a help desk. You've heard me talk about that. God isn't a help desk. God is to be revered. God is to be understood for who he is. And so... We man seems to think that you know oh I'll just pull God out whenever it's convenient you know whenever you know somebody you know hears that somebody passed you know you see this all the time on the news and or whatever um, well we're sending our prayers to you or, or these types of things um, look access to God is a very privileged thing it has always been a very privileged thing there's a reason. <laughs> Why, whenever Adam and Eve sinned, guess what they was restricted from? Access to God. Didn't mean they didn't have any access to God again anymore. But guess what? That access changed, and it changed in a very big way. And it has, and is even everything we've seen in the Old Old, old Testament um, is points to the fact that there is restricted access to God because of the purity of His holiness. There's a reason for those types of things. And again, um, this access, um, and you can write this down. I won't take you there, but one of, one of the verses that might um, kind of bring this home is Isaiah 57, 15. This, this God, this act, we have access to the, to the God that uh, Isaiah says is the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Now, that's the description that Isaiah uses there. Obviously, it's God-spoken, God-breathed. The high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Holy meaning separated. Separated from everyone and everything else. This access to God is quite an enormous thing. And so, um, 
we maybe maybe it would help to kind of think of the things in which you don't have access to and you have maybe a, a little appreciation for who's ever you know had an issue where you had to call tech support and you haven't really necessarily got an english speaking tech support or maybe you can't even get tech support and you're like boy you're on facebook man i can't get a hold of this company or you're writing a review about i you can't ever get a hold of support because you can't get access about that you can't get access to i'm betting the governor of this state nice of a guy as he is i bet you're not going to get full access to that governor you're certainly not going to get full access to the president of the united states but you do have full access to the creator and your savior whoa whoa that should really cause us to just be thankful that we have this full access to god we got access to the throne room itself turn with me to ephesians chapter 2 verse 18 Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. Talking about Christ, it says, For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. It's through Christ Jesus that we have access to the Father. There is no access to the Father. We were talking on on Wednesday um, about salvation and kind of how salvation worked, and I pointed at that door and said, that's the door. That's the door that you come in. Guess what? On Sunday mornings, that door's locked. Now, if you knock, we're probably going to let you in if you came to the wrong door. But guess what happens if you try to come to the wrong door when it comes to God? No, he says that's the way. Christ is the way. Christ is the access. Notice it says by faith. That's how it works. You want access to God? He says today, I've made peace. Here it is. Here's the access. Just come that way. How much easier can it be? But yet man in his rebelliousness says, no, I'll do it my way. Look over in chapter 3 of Ephesians. Verse 12, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, we see here this access mentioned. It says, in whom, in Christ again, the capital whom, we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. You know, God doesn't want a believer today, and I've talked about this before, to, to not have assurance. That's why it's not some complicated, whoa, man, it's some complicated formula. Look, did you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection for your sins? Death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for your sins, we are saved. It's not some sort of, a, well, did I really believe? Well, did you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for your sins? Then you were saved. God wants us to have assurance. He wants us to have boldness. And he wants us to understand that we can have that. We don't have to wonder, which is why it's not of works. So we've talked about this before. We spent quite a bit of talking about time talking about this. If it's by works, then you don't know if you've done enough. But if it's by faith, then you know. You have assurance. And God wants us to realize Jesus Christ gets the glory if we do it the right way. And if Christians don't have that assurance and they don't have that boldness, then guess who doesn't get glory? Christ Jesus. 
So it's really not that complicated. It's really pretty simple. We just have a tendency to want to overcomplicate it. And so here, again, here in Romans, we see that we have free access anytime. And I ask you, again, do you have free access anytime to your doctor, to your lawyer, to the governor, to the president? Probably you don't even have free access to talk to your wife when she's busy or your husband whenever he's busy. But to God, anytime, the door is open. The access is there. The access to access all of those spiritual blessings that you have in Christ Jesus, they're there all the time. And this is why I say that it is nonsense for us today to think that we should try to want the promises were made to Israel because I guarantee you the ones that you have in Christ Jesus are even better. Israel didn't have free access to God, did they? No, they most certainly did not. Israel... um, We'll go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Israel had access through covenants and promises. It's not us. We didn't. We didn't have access through covenants and promises. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12. Paul here is talking about Gentiles. That's clear obviously from verse 11. And he says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Doesn't sound like the Gentiles at one time had much access to God. Israel did, but notice it was through covenants and promises. You as a Gentile could come have access to God, but it had to come through Israel. And so you can see here that Israel's, their situation was through, through these covenants and promises. And so again, Whenever it says here, without God in the world, we see here that we, the fact that we had no access to God except for through, through Israel. Back to Romans chapter 5. Whenever you consider, uh, again, the ages, God's times of the ages, when you think of whenever Adam and Eve sinned, and they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. You had Cain and Abel. And what happened? Um, they each bring a, bring a sacrifice to God, and one was accepted and one was not accepted, right? There was this restriction on how you had to approach God. The temple itself, if you've ever studied what the tabernacle and the temple looked like, not everybody could go in to the tabernacle, right? Or to the temple, right? Matter of fact, you know, they have found the stone that was part of Herod's temple, which Herod's temple was just the second temple. Um, it was expanded, so it wasn't a new temple that was built. Many people mistake that. But they have found the stone, literally the stone that was there in Jesus' time warning Gentiles, if you come beyond this point, it's, and I'm paraphrasing here, it's your own head, because only Jews could go to a certain part. And then only men could go a certain part. And then only priests could go a certain farther. And then only the high priest could go so far, uh, could go into the next part. And that high priest could only do it once a year. I was just going to say, you probably did that, but that he's, he was tethered uh, with a rope. Again, yeah. So as if he was not found to be fit in the presence of the... Uh, right. Yeah, pull him on out. Yeah. And so it, you can understand... Now, the, the whole picture of the temple and the tabernacle 
showed that there wasn't full access to God. It was to show that there's a restricted means. They didn't understand it. God didn't reveal it. But there was a day coming in which God was going to give full access. Now, who is the benefactors of that? Us. So when we think of this, verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand. Whoa. This again. This we can stand, and it's the only way in which we can stand, is by this faith. The same thing that Paul has been talking about, that it's all about faith. It's, it's not so much that you have to keep having faith, but did you have saving faith? And if you did, then you, then you are standing on that. We sing that song, Standing on the Promises, which I'm not convinced that the writer of that song truly understood this stuff. But nonetheless... The fact of the matter is, is we do stand on the promises. And that promise is, is that you can stand on the gospel of your salvation. You go read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and you understand what this is. But we have this access. And I think that, again, we've been... Um, I don't usually like to talk about culture when it comes to the Bible because people then try to twist that and, and, and change what the Bible says based upon the culture of the day. And I think that's a very, very dangerous thing to do. But understanding the culture of today, we live in a Christianized America where people have been brought up to think that you could, anybody can just pray to God. I, I, I'll be honest with you. If somebody's an unbeliever and they're praying to God, I don't see in Scripture that God is listening to their prayers because they're in a, de- a declared state as an enemy. I'm not saying he doesn't hear their prayers, but he certainly doesn't listen to him the way he does us, Tim. Yeah, I was just looking um, in, in verse 2. It says, through whom we also uh, we have access. Um, and it said literally the translation is have obtained hmm. access. So, you know, it's much more, you know, a, a certain thing uh, mm-hmm. instead of have. It's a it's a choice or not we can make or, or whatever. Now we we've already obtained that. Sure. It's, uh, yeah. It's, it's definite. Yeah, it's definite. It's it's past tense. It's something that you've already acquired, and, and that's why Paul uses this therefore. He's concluding his point that it's by faith. And guess what? The very last thing that he talks about there in chapter four is the fi- idea that it's imputed to you. It's granted to your account. You have it. And so that's a great point, Tim, to realize that's on your account. Um, you know, it's kind of like, I guess, somewhat, and I hate kind of relating it this way. It's almost like a credit card. Oh, I hate saying it like that. Um, <laughs> but you get the point. It's there. You have it. It's ours. And again, until the body of Christ, no one had that since literally Adam walked in the cool of the evening, Scripture says, with God. You have this access. Now, next week we'll talk more about verse 2 a little bit and the standing and rejoicing and, and rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. Uh, I won't spend too much time on that, but understanding that we stand in this grace that we have by faith that we have been given because it's been imputed unto us. 
if we can reverse engineer that, that's what I would say, is that we stand on this through the grace that we've been given because of the faith and faith of faithfulness of Christ, most importantly, because it's been imputed unto us. Any, I don't know, last time I finished early. That's two minutes early. So uh, any comments or, or questions? Okay.